Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. Joining me is Seymour Hirsch, now writing at seymourhirsch.substack.com. Sai, thanks for joining me. Oh, glad to be here. It's been three weeks now since you reported uh, that the U.S. blew up the Nord Stream 2, and your article goes into great detail about how they did it. So far, none of the principals uh, that you name, uh, Victoria Nuland, Anthony Blinken, Jake Sullivan, William Burns, have issued a statement about your reporting or even been asked about it, despite multiple public appearances. I'm just wondering your uh, thoughts on their lack of comment so far on this and the overall reaction in the U.S. to your story. Well, that's a big comment. Um, um, I, I don't know what goes on in the White House. <laughs> I can't begin to tell you. Um, uh, I can't imagine they have enough time to worry about commenting about me because they're so concerned about everything Russian and communism. They spend, it seems, a lot of time just going around and trying to poke everybody they can poke uh, without much in return. So, um, uh, but they, you know, I must acknowledge that trio are clearly the the the, the driving force of the foreign policy. Um, I don't know where the White House fits, the president fits in on that, but they seem to be the driving force. But you know, I'm I'm an outsider looking in, and um, um, uh, it worries me that we're we. It just worries me uh, that that um, I don't get a strong sense of uh, presidential leadership on a lot of these issues. But I could be wrong too. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm not inside. And as for the press coverage, it's, you know, if I worried about what the the, the major newspapers did, I I would I would I I wear myself to a frazzle. Um, I am a little surprised that uh, they don't have to buy into my story. But there's been a, you know, there were rallies in in uh, in Europe about it, and not about this issue, but about the consequences of the uh, support for Ukraine and for obviously the president's decision. To, to authorize the bombing last fall, late in September, uh, was basically a uh, uh, telling Europe that, uh, you know, uh, yes, maybe things aren't going perfectly in, in the war, which by late late fall, he, he was certainly aware. Stalemate might have been the best solution. And, um, um, and so um, uh, I think what he decided is he was worried about, there's been a longstanding American presidential uh, worry about Russia and its natural gases and net and its oil and its connection, particularly to Germany and Western Europe, um, in terms of what they call what this White House is called the weaponization of gas by the Russians. But it's a, it's been an obsession that started with the Kennedy administration. You know, we, we've got to somehow separate as part of our Cold War mantra, uh, uh, even the cheap natural gas that was going into Europe and prompting up the economy after World War II and getting a lot of people wealthier and warmer, uh, we have to worry about that. So that's that's a that's a given. Uh, but I I um, I don't know where the press is on it because at the least, as, you know, when I did Milai, a lot of the media didn't respond to the massacre until until it became an issue in Europe. And this this pipeline and the, the continuing, you know, it looks to me like a hundred billion dollars is probably a very good estimate altogether what's going in there that kind of money is really worrying people the polls are showing there's a division in the polls as far as i can tell between those you know those who worry about the money are pejorative 62 percent the last poll i saw was were worried about the war in ukraine those who dismiss the money are more supportive and certainly as we know the democrats are very supportive of the war in their in their anti-russian feeling and the republicans less so 
um, you know, but if you think I expect uh, Charles, uh, Chuck Schumer to call for an investigation you know, since he's got the Senate majority, you got to be kidding. I'm not thinking that's that's not going to happen. And I'm not thinking what when I worked at The New York Times and I worked six, seven, eight years there doing a lot of stories. I don't think I wrote many stories with named sources. It was all unnamed. And and if somebody else had a good story that we didn't have back in those ancient days of the 70s, why we 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 chased it. We tried the matcha story, and that seems to be no longer. But you know, um, uh, you can't argue with. I, I don't know. I, I, the New York Times to me has become sort of a, a merchandising machine. You know, with the blogs and the podcasts and the newspaper, which once had a, a huge. When I joined it, 1.7 million circulation is down to something like last time somebody told me it was 3:30, and you know, the print is probably a losing venture. We're probably going to go all online. Yeah, and everybody, the, all the stockholders will be happy, and and the, I guess I don't know what's going on there. So, since you mentioned the lack of a congressional investigation, I've also seen you point out that if the Biden administration was really interested in who blew up the Nord Stream two pipeline, if it wasn't the U.S., then they could have tasked an investigation as well with the the U.S. intelligence community. Oh my God, they have three options. There's the Office of National Intelligence, which has the that's the the El Primo organization. Um, uh, anyway, in the structure. And their director of intelligence happens to be a very competent person. They could that you use the exact word tasking. The president can task the the administration, and, and uh, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, can too. You can also task the DI, the, the intelligence branch of the CIA. You know they have a directorate of operations. We know about those guys, uh, science and technology. They also have a directorate of intelligence, and a lot of very competent people work there. And also, if the agency has somebody in the field, as they obviously did in this case in Norway and other places, perhaps during the um, work up to to uh, to blowing up the mine, the uh, the uh, the pipelines, uh, they have a special unit that really watches everything locally, radio phone calls in the area to make sure nobody's on the people on the ground. It's a very high level. It used to be called the C group. I have no idea what it's called now. There's a bunch of intelligence people, but you know, why would you ask a question to which you know the answer? Yeah, and why somebody doesn't ask the White House if they've done an investigation. Actually, it's Jake Sullivan, four days after the implosion on September, the the the, the pipelines were blown up last September the 26th. Yeah. And I did, I took a long look at what Biden was learning about the war then. Why, why then? I don't, you know, and uh, four days later was a news conference in the White House in which, uh, and they, they taped these things and they're online in which um, it was about 11 minutes before somebody asked a question about the pipeline. And when they asked those questions in the White House, nobody refers to what Joe Biden himself said which in last February, which is, we can do it, and if they go, we're going to do it. Which, to me, I have a friend uh, in, in Europe who's very wise, a lot more smarter than I am, who wrote me after I did the story. He said, uh, oh, Seymour, he said, you have become the master of... <laughs> of deconstructing the obvious. <laughs> the point being, I love that quote, because I mean, who else would have blown it up? Why would the Russians have, he'd already stopped one pipeline himself, uh, Nord Stream 1, and why would he block the second one, which was full of gas, but had been sanctioned by the Germans? So who could open up the, the pipeline? The Germans could. And, and so I, I think whatever he learned, whatever his thoughts about the war were in late September, that made him decide to worry about whether or not he's going to continue to have support from Germany 
and uh, and Western Europe. The gas that the Russians supplied in the first pipeline, which began in 2011, was so much that the Germans themselves could downstream it. They were taking a percentage of it and reselling it at a price. And Russia just, you know, they, there was it wasn't Russia. It was it's owned by Gazprom. North Stream was, was owned 51% by Gazprom, a group of uh, oligarchs who certainly paid fees, enormous amount of fees to Russia, and 49% owned by four European companies that were selling the oil downstream. So there was so much, uh, the gas rather, so much gas, and uh, and the economy is booming. The, uh, the Germans right now, they had a mild winter. Uh, there's still a lot of upset about the war there and about the pipeline. I've been, I, I don't talk to Congress. I don't testify. I never have. And and people in the Bundestag were calling me, but I don't talk to them either. That's not what I do. And um, But um, Germany's okay because the government is subsidizing as much as 20% in some places more. But anecdotally, I've been, I've been reading, watching the press, and even before, um, uh, uh, just with the, once the first pipeline was cut off, Nord Stream 1, you had stories where a, uh, a large bakery in Berlin that was... Um, Without Russian gas, natural gas or methane, it is um, without with Russian gas, they were running twelve burners, twelve ovens, and producing a great deal of bread, whatever it is. And they were trucks taking it all all around the countryside and probably to other major cities uh, for delivery. Uh, they've cut back; they were cutting back to four burners. And the largest chemical company in the world, uh, B um, uh, BSF uh, BASF, in Germany, hundred thousand employees. Uh, I've read stories in the um, in the uh, oil and industry press. Uh, they've been talking to the Chinese about moving some facilities there because they can't they can't predict the long term. So Germany things are reasonably stable because of government subsidies and a mild winter. But in France, for example, I have friends that are paying five times five times five five hundred times more for electricity. I guess the uh, energy or the uh, turbines are fueled by gas. And I talked to an Italian reporter that he's paying three to four times as much for gas. And we know what's going on in Britain. It's going crazy there. Uh, well, they, you know, anybody that voted for Brexit just has to, you know, they signed their death warrant. I don't know why they did what they did, but they did. So it's, it's having an impact. Um, and it's the other thing, the thought that Biden worried that Germans in West Europe might not, might not be in it all the way. I think by late September, it was clear that a, at, at best, um, uh, a 50-50. It was going to be, a, you know, yeah. win, no lose. And and um, um, my own guess is that they're both going to have offenses this fall. And my understanding is, and the, the, the Russians, the, the Ukraine ideal, the Russians will be on both east and west, and the Ukraine will drive a corridor down that may be impenetrable and maybe stall everything again through winter. But that at some point, uh, Donbrass is done. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fall to the Russian hands. And even though the war is not over, that might be the time for Russia to, uh, for Russia, for Putin to make the call, which is uh, Zelensky has to go. Um, you can have Odessa. We'll, have, we'll take suzerainty in the Donbass, suzerainty, not, not total control, suzerainty, tactical control. And um, Ukraine demobilizes, de-weaponize. De That's to me would be a real starter for an agreement. But that depends on the Ukrainians holding this winter. And uh, it's it'll probably, given the geography, it might not be that hard to hold a corridor.
you know, uh, uh, you have you have the Wagner Group on one side and the army, the, the the Russian army on the other side. They don't they don't communicate that well. Uh, I'm just telling you the thinking that may be going on now. Uh, so we might see something by the end of the year. I, I would think Zelensky, the corruption there is just, we know about the corruption. We just don't talk about it. He's putting $100 million, another $50 billion into a place. We know they're stealing the money. Yeah. You know, and so, and the polls show that people who worry about the money are over 60% against the war. And, you know, that I'm not talking about the Democratic Congress. They, they seem to be 100% anti-communist, whatever they want, they get. It's amazing the Democrats are doing that now. <laughs> when I was a kid in Vietnam, the, the Democrats and a few, a number of moderate Republicans were a major force. War mm. Powers Act in 73, major force of peace. And now we have a bunch of Democrat senators who just can't get enough of hating Putin. Yeah. You know, in terms of the timing of the Nord Stream bombing, uh, so you report that the explosives are laid down in June un under the cover of a NATO naval exercise. But so the bomb goes off in late September. And what was happening then? That was shortly after Ukraine had that victory in Kharkiv where they did expel Russian forces. But what didn't get reported here was that they sacrificed so many people for that. And the reason why is they wanted a big PR offensive to justify all the weapons they were getting from the U.S. They did this offensive sort of at the encouragement of the U.S. And also... Uh, shortly before the bombing happens of the Nord Stream 2, Putin announces that he's calling up another 300,000 forces. So those two factors, I, I, I'm just guessing, major Ukrainian sacrifice to have their victory in Kharkiv, which for Russia wasn't, I think, a very big strategic loss, and also Russia about to pour in hundreds of thousands of more troops, that might have spurred Biden to act. Well, I defer, I, you know, I, I, read, your, I read your blog, I read your stuffs.com, of course, and I defer to you because I think you've got a really good feel of it, much more, I think, than I do. I get my stuff secondhand. I think you're reading more of the original, more of the reports. I, I'm unable to read much of the uh, uh, New York Times, Washington Post coverage because it's so bizarre to me. It's just, you know, there's just, there's language, there's language used to describe Putin, who has this uh, an absolutely... Um, um, you know, narcissism doesn't begin to go there. This notion of he is in the whole Russian, not communist, uh, the whole Russian, you know, um, history uh, yeah. in his soul, whatever it is. Um, but so many things are said about him. They keep on writing that Putin began his war without provocation, which I don't know how they can come to that when you move, you know, when you, when you absolutely lie to him about not, not extending NATO to the east. And, and you put missiles on the border with uh, 800, 800, 800 uh, miles yep. from um, from uh, Moscow that can be turned overnight, defensive missiles that be, can throw enough nuclear weapon to wipe out, wipe out Moscow plus. But those but, are just their side. Uh, those are only there to protect Europe from Iran. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> and by the way, the rage that Iran could maybe be helping Ukraine fight the war. The American Russia, yeah. rage, yeah. given what we're doing, is just so crazy to me. And it, it's it's a, it, it's re, straight. But Blinken will make an attack, and it's reported in the in the papers I read, without irony, without mentioning. Wait a second. But that's the the American notion of, I don't know what it is, whatever you want to call it, the American notion that somehow, the fact that we chose to respond to the. Uh, a Saudi, obviously a wacko Saudi guy who, bin Laden, 
who was supported absolutely in various ways by the various four. He's a member of very prominent families, um, not royalty, but banking and finance. Clearly, that was where you go for the story. Instead, we decided the solution to bin Laden was to attack uh, Iraq, even though we knew they had no weapons, uh, weapons of mass destruction by then. And also, it was run by a guy who hated the, the, the Muslim terrorists as much as we did. And so, you know, the irony of us complaining about uh, Iran supporting somebody they want, it's just, it's the American exceptionalism problem that when I was at the New York Times, I had a great time. It was wonderful. I got there. I was at the New Yorker before, and I was invited in by uh, Abe Rosenthal and sent to Washington. And he understood what I was going to do there, which is I did, went after the war, and then did Watergate. I used to only, he was interesting because he was a cons much more conservative than I was, but he really loved stories. He used to come and give me, um, I've said this a hundred times, he used to come and give me the Bill Murray, what's the nickel rub? What do they call that thing? When he, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Walk, I was in the Washington Bureau. He'd come in from New York and he'd come behind me and he'd say, how's my little, you know, sometimes he actually did say, how's my little commie today? Because I was way to his left. And then he said, what do you have for me? No second guessing about the stories. Best editor I've ever worked with. No worry about the president. No worry about stepping on anybody's toes. He just did it. And... Um, <laughs> And I don't see that today. I don't see that today. It seems to be a lot of worry about the president and what he thinks. And um, who knows what he thinks. When it comes to keeping uh, this Nord Stream bombing operation uh, away from Congress, um, I'm wondering how it compares to what you revealed about the Dirty War program in Syria. In the London Review of Books in 2014, you revealed that the way the U.S. was able to evade congressional oversight when it comes to this uh, billions of dollars in in funding for a proxy war in Syria uh, was that they basically outsourced the program, Timber Sycamore, to British intelligence. And because of some oversight rules there, that allowed them to not brief Congress about this. Um, how did how does what they did in Syria when it comes to evading congressional oversight compare to how they avoided congressional oversight here with the bombing of the Nord Stream 2? Look, the truth is oversight is a joke. I'm sorry. The over um, there's a the, there's a distinction that has to be made about oversight, which is that um, it, oversight depends on colloquy between the house and the, in the house and the senate on things like the intelligence committees, and the whole purpose of the intelligence committees having oversight and the whole notion of when there's a CIA covert operation, there has to be a finding that's presented to the Congress. Um, uh, the Church Committee finished its work in 76, the first major investigation into the agency. And one of the things they recommended were intelligence committees. They were set up, and I will tell you, from the late 70s until until post 9-11, it really worked. I mean, uh, I, I dealt with a couple of the chairmen of the, in the Senate committees, and uh, Gary Hart and um, the basketball player, uh, Bill Bradley, who was chairman of that. He lived around the corner from, from me in the kids used to play basketball on the corner. He'd walk by in the morning to go to work in summer, and they'd say, come on, please. And he'd say <laughs> no, and he got, as he got farther away, finally he'd throw him a ball, and he'd turn around and jump and flip, never missed. <laughs> the kids were in such awe. But anyway, when those people dealt with me, for example, because obviously even then I had friends, everything was on the record, not one off-the-record conversation, which I thought was great. It was a perfect way to run. So there was a lot of uh, agreement among them. After 9-11, um, 
uh, it got very tense. And particularly uh, when Obama was in there, it got very tense. So um, in 2005, I was writing stories for The New Yorker, uh, without naming sources, by the way, the same The New Yorker uh, that hasn't mentioned this yet, this issue. Uh, peripherally, one little column, but but um, uh, where I worked for 15, 20 years altogether. Um, and um, uh, at one point, the chairman, he's long gone now, he's retired, Bill Obey, William, I think was Obey, uh, O-B-E-Y. Uh, it wasn't Bill, but it was uh, uh, Obey, the chairman of, uh, he was from Wisconsin, a member 30 years in the Congress, he was chairman of the Appropriations Committee. So I wrote something one day about um, uh, CIA or Navy SEALs operating inside of uh, Iran, trying to, they were sent there, they connected with a um, an Iranian, uh, uh, Iran's mostly Shia, a, a, a dissident, sort of crazy Iranian Sunni smuggling group. We connected with them, we gave them money. And the story I wrote was the target was supposed to be a, 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 a uh, a temple or uh, some some religious group, some religious group, some I I, I don't remember. So, um, anyway, some monastery, something in in Tehran, and uh, the next day they took the money and they blew up a bus full of sixty kids, and there was a so I read about it. And Obi uh, calls me up. His secretary calls me and says he wants to see you, and he says to me, so let, "Let me tell you, I'm I'm on a small group that." monitors the findings. There's a four-man group off the Defense House and uh, appropriate the House the Defense Appropriations Committee. And they have a, a subcommittee that does stuff. And um, and they're the ones that they get the finding. There's a clerk there. It's a it's it's known but it's secret. And he said, I don't get this stuff. So I told him a little bit about, you know, gen generically about what I'm doing. He was quite angry. And he went on the Senate floor and he said, look, I'm not getting briefed on what's going on. And under the law, they're supposed to be briefing me as part of, you're supposed to be what they call the Gang of Eight, which yeah. is the House and Senate leadership and the um, the and the political leadership, not only the, you know, so he was part of the leadership as the chairman of the appropriate, anyway. And he didn't hear, know anything about it. He went on the floor and said, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm cutting off the funds for this, uh, for the SEALs of the Special Operations Committee as of now. So somebody from the White House, uh, one of, uh, 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 I'm trying to remember, a Andy Card was his name. He'd been a car dealer and he was close to uh, uh, the second Bush kid. Yeah. One, who was uh, president, won the election in 2001 with Cheney as Veep. And uh, he came to see uh, Obi, as Obi told me later, and said, he promised we'll give, a, they, we'll give you a report. He got a report within a couple of days of what's going on. And then you're supposed to get quarterly reports. And six months went by and he heard nothing more. So he went to see, I never, I don't think I ever wrote this. He went to see Cheney. And what was the name of Cheney's uh, extreme lawyer? Three syllables in the White House. Uh, trouble of being old. What I, I have a neighbor who, who does a lot of books. And she told me once, so it, when, when you have this moment where you don't remember, she was just in the middle of a speech, she would stop and say, look, I don't know it now. I know it once and I'll know it again. Um, is, is, um, with three syllables. Anyway, he had a lawyer that was a tough guy. And so Obi, the chairman of, you know, 30, 30 years in the House, chairman of Addington, the Addington. That's right. Yeah. Addington. Um, and who's a tough guy. Yeah. And he said, I'm not getting briefed. 
This is now 05, 06, uh, and the second term for Bush. And uh, and he said, you know, you're, you're, you're breaking the understanding, the rules. And Eddington said, well, sue us. You know, what Democrat's going to go in the federal court and sue about a top secret program that they weren't being told enough? So they, you know, it, 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 it stopped working. And so uh, I don't think Congress has a smell of what's going on. Um, in this case, um, what happened is it was, there's a technical rule that anything the special operations community does has to, has to have a finding to this. Anything the CIA does has to have a finding. Anything the special operations community did does have to have a finding. In this case, the reason they, as I wrote about in that first piece, they went down to Panama City where the, there was a big, much, uh, 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 a school for mine, for um, uh, underwater, you know, for divers and a very good school. They found the very best of the best. And that school had been working in other, other underwater things we did against the Russians. So there was, there was a lot more connection. That school is quite a full of a very good, it had trained a lot of brilliant miners who were really good. And the miners were military, they were Navy. And um, they always brag that unlike they were unlike the SEALs because the SEALs are swimmers who talk about everything they do. And the miners never talk. And so they were military. Everybody in that team was military. And at that point they decided, ah, um, uh, we're not covert, we're classified. We may be highly classified, but under the law, if the CIA is doing a mission that involves military people, you know they have all these con all these concoctions that beat the law. And I, if you think that this White House is going to do something in camera that requires a finding and brief it to McCarthy at the House, I mean, you know, I got a bridge I want to sell you. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> so it's forget that. It's all gone. It's just all talk now. I mean, I'm serious. It's just all talk. And, and the Congress doesn't want to admit it. But you know, the Democrats are so they they their hatred of Putin, of Putin and all, all things Russia is as great as it was at any time in the Cold War. As we're speaking, uh, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz is about to come visit Washington to meet with Biden. Uh, what's your sense of his visibility into this uh, bombing of his own country's pipeline? Well, he was he was with the president when last fall. Um, I think um, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure the people who did this for for the intelligence community did set up the the ability for the president to have to have the ability to blow up a mine. And you have to understand, historically, since the Kennedy years, there's been an incredible, as part of the containment policy that we invoked after World, after World War II to stop communism worldwide, the, uh, the president, um, uh, um, uh, part, part of containment, the idea of Russian, with all this natural resources, all they, they have incredible amounts of, of methane gas and, and oil, um, um, uh, was always seen as a political threat to the United States because we were fighting communism and these guys were selling oil to Germany and other in, through that into Western Europe. That was always seen as by uh, as us as the, the the dirty commies weaponizing gas and oil uh, to maintain a friendship. And I think this had a lot to do with why uh, Biden pressed the button. As you say, in late fall, it was clear it was not going to be all this talk about a great advance. Even that rally, even when they ran, they remember there was photographs of the Ukraine tanks going down the road and trucks. They were getting hit very hard by artillery. 
And nobody wants to write about that, or they did at the time. But I remember hearing about it from people who know more than I do about this stuff, which is easy to do. Uh, I'm just following the newspapers, which is comical. If you just follow the newspaper, you think Ukraine's on the road to victory, you know? And, you know, when the president goes into Ukraine and he walks into Kiev and the, and the sirens go off, tell me, how do you think that happens? You think that goes <laughs> off because it's a real raid? Who buys that except the press? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, people talked, there was a lot of people when I wrote that story about um, an uh, 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 a P American pilot dropping a sonar to trigger the, the bombing and all these open source people started writing, no, no, we didn't track anybody. And open source, you know, doesn't see anything. They track by by images. And so in the story about the about one of the papers, the Times or the Post, maybe the Wall Street Journal, I also look at that good paper, much better. I like it the best. But um, and, and um, uh, it wrote about the, the sort of bull by bull, how, how um, Biden heroically flew into Poland on the Air Force One, I gathered. And it said when they got into Poland, they took, they broke the, they shut off the transponder. Mm. And the transponder is an IFF signal. It's a signal that tells everybody where you are. It's a, it's essential for air traffic control. It's also essential to protect yourself from being run in by somebody else. But what that does makes the plane invisible to people who are doing open source. So when they say the plane was, it couldn't have happened, why don't they figure out that the same thing happened to that plane that that the president, they turned off the transponder. It's just so hard to get those guys to think. They're so rigid. And yeah. if they wanted to, the CIA, given knowing what they know about open source people and their zealousness, they could have recreated recreated a, um, a World War II Japanese armada on the way to uh, on a way to Honolulu uh, to mm -hmm. you know to attack mm -hmm. uh, in the Baltic Sea. They can create anything they want. And mm -hmm. but so it's just so funny. I have to deal with all that stuff. Yeah. Well, look, you know, speaking of open source, uh, when there are attempts in establishment media to dis to try to dismiss your reporting, um, sometimes they will cite people who supposedly done open source research into right. the issue. Oh, of in the beginning, they did that a lot the first week. Yeah. Uh, into the issue of Syria. And you've exposed a lot there. You've reported it heavily on allegations of chemical weapons used by Syria. And you reported many things in the London Review of Books, including that U.S. intelligence knew that's that the rebels in Syria had a chemical weapons program. Oh, you're not also, allowed to know that. No, yeah. Aaron, you can't right. know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also oh, that Obama was warned. I'll just say you, it's, it's a chronic. Hirsch really fell afoul in writing that Bashar Assad yeah. did help Sarin. And all the stories said from the first sentence on, there were two suspects. We knew from our secret intelligence, NSA and other stuff, that uh, there was a big concern three months earlier about yeah. the fact that Turkey and... Um, and uh, the Saudis, Saudis were, were smuggling in what they call the precursors to make what they call kitchen sarin, uh, organophosphate, and um, and a chemical, a certain alcohol will make a killer weapon. And yeah. the import of that document is that I didn't, I don't like talking. So it was, in, I don't like doing too much NSA stuff. But we were, we were tracking a very prominent uh, scientists that was involved in uh, with the uh, the crazies Al Qaeda and, and the uh, El Nusra, yeah. we were tracking him who knew something about how to make a weapon. We were tracking him coming in to central um, Syria, and that was the import of that document. I don't, I'm not sure. I didn't run. I don't like to run a follow. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Mind, I like getting secret stuff, but I don't like to do stuff that 
um, I don't want the uh, uh, nothing wrong with our NSA tracking somebody in who could do something. It would be very dangerous. Yeah, you know, and I'd rather have them do it than me write about it. Yeah, um, and and, the, uh, and there are people arrested inside Turkey, by the way, with chemical weapons, with precursors, with with very yeah. precursors of the weapons. No, no, yeah. there was two. The only point of the article. I'm so happy you brought it up because it drives me nuts when they keep on writing about it. Well, he he. He's been a good reporter, but he fell into conspiracy theory <laughs> and when he wrote about Syria. Uh, but uh, the, the bottom line is that uh, uh, the Obama White House, a year before re-election, 2011, he only told the American people about one suspect when there were yeah. two. Yeah. And, and uh, you also reported, Cy, that Obama was warned that the evidence wasn't there that the, the government carried out the Guta attack of August 2013. And what everybody ignores is that, not, that none other than President Obama himself corroborated your reporting when upon leaving office in 2016, he told Jeffrey Goldberg that he was warned by James Clapper and but Ben Rhodes also, backed this up too. One, he was yeah. also one of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs too. That, yes, but, 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 but he confirmed the Clapper part. Uh, he confirmed that Clapper came in and said, this is not a slam dunk. And everybody ignores that Obama admitted that. Why wouldn't they? Because it's easier just to say that he, you know, let me tell you something about conspiracy theory. There's anywhere from 25 to 30,000 people working at the NSA. And I, I, I've always had some connection to some people. And I certainly knew that uh, after 9-11, uh, the lid was lifted. I knew that in, in a passive way. Uh, that, In other words, they changed the rules at some point. You could start in the NSA. The big no-no is you cannot, you, you, you cannot intercept uh, an American inadvertently. If you're tracking somebody in Europe and he picks up a phone and calls to an American citizen, your screen would stop. They have a filter that uh, some red devil would show up, something like that. Uh, like in the old days when we had a virus, I used to have a, all of a sudden pop up some monster and it would say you're breaking the law. They really cared about that because they knew they were had such power to spy on Americans. And there was a lot of times when the age, in the days when a lot, of, you know, the problem, one problem with the NSA is that they always bring in a general admiral every three, four years to run it. And the guys working there, you know, always consider them to be the summer help because in only a few cases that they actually know much of the technology. Uh, Bobby Inman, when he ran it, was different. And he went out in private life and became very wealthy in, in IT stuff. I mean, he did know the business. And um, and so, so what would happen is uh, they were breaking the rules and they were reporting on Americans, spying on Americans in overseas conversations, and then here, when they thought there was a link. And it was, I can tell you, it was water fountain stuff. If there are 25,000 employees there, let's just say 20% knew, 5,000. And there are 25,000 consultants more with the same clearances. Many of them people who retired and went to work for a triple the pay, set up a company and contracted with the NSA. And um, uh, what is it, Glenn? Glen Echo is it? What's the Greenwald, city? yeah. And you know, in in next to the NSA, there's a oh oh, oh oh oh, there's a small suburb next to the NSA, and it was known by the NSA people as the uh, uh, like the um, playing off the FDR social programs in the 30s. It was like um, the the Glen Burning, I think, is the name of the suburb. The Glen the Glen Burning Public Works programs. Two or three guys would retire from the NSA after 20 or 30 years, making 150,000, set up a company and get $2 million worth of contracts from the NSA. That was their 
you know, this that was the social program for the NSA still to this day. Nobody ever bothers with it. Pretty scandalous, but so who cares? They're obviously competent people and um, more power to them. But the, the, the point I'm making is that there were, let's say, out of 50, 60,000 people with clearances, let's say 10,000 knew that the most grievous thing that the NSA could do to destroy it in terms of American trust was to spy on Americans without a warrant. And one guy in 10 is so appalled by it, he goes public. Yeah, I'm talking about Ed Snowden. Yeah. Uh, Snowden did something else. He gave he gave away a whole raft of secrets. He didn't understand what he was doing. I don't believe it, how, how serious he was. Uh, he was. He was very naive, I think, about it. But he was the one guy. So people talk about conspiracy. I keep on thinking about the Snowden thing. One guy out of 60,000 working there thought enough to tell the Americans that these guys are dropping on anything without a federal warrant, without a bench warrant, which you have to get. And now we're back to those days. It's much better these days. You do have to get a warrant to, to listen to somebody. Um, and if they cheat, they cheat, but you do have to. Anyway. And that, uh, goes, back to, and that goes back to your story. Uh, you cite in the story one source. Um, and that source was sufficient for you to tell this story here uh, on such a consequential covert act by the U.S. I don't suggest. I don't suggest even he was a first-hand source. I was, he was a source who was aware of what was yeah. going on. So I've kept you over time. So just a very last quick question. No, no, Are you... okay. I just want to tell you that I want to say that very clearly. Um, um, I, I didn't suggest. I, uh, uh, you know, either. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're pretty good at tracking people who talk, you know, and I'm pretty good at not protecting people who talk. And there was a lot of specifics in there. And some of the language I used was very specific and should have warned anybody. And I'm sure it did warn some of the people on the inside. For example, the question uh, was uh, one of the basic questions they were asked was, are we going to do, uh, uh, we're going to take acts, <laughs> uh, uh, that can be that were our the issue was we want you to study both actions that will be reversible or or those that are irreversible yeah and what was the language used and that's very unusual language so mm -hmm. if i'm one of those uh, you know i don't think i don't think the the threesome that seemed to be doing 90 percent of the foreign policy 100 percent of the foreign policy um uh what's his name uh uh no victoria newland in the State Department, and Tony Blinken, and Jake Sullivan. Uh, 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 I don't think they care what's being said. I don't think they worry about it. They're locked in. Yeah. You know, I call them wink and blink and nod after that. But because they're, <laughs> well, because they're so fixated. Yeah. They're so fixated on communism, and they, you know, um, they and they are, can't contain it. So, I mean, bl a Blinken uh, blurted out right afterwards. Did you write about this? Was a tremendous strategic, a, a tremendous strategic opportunity that the pipeline was blown up. And Newland recently, you also quote this, said that she's gratified that Nord Stream is a hunk of metal at the bottom of the sea. So they don't even hide this. What 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 Blinken said four days uh, within a week of the 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 story about the pipeline being blo uh, blown up. We're talking about the same period in late fall last year in September. He said no longer can Russia weaponize, yeah. and that's the thought. That's a thought that's run through. Uh, America uh, for now six decades, six decades of Russia weaponizing its natural resources, and um, and the way it works in the American world, how dare Iran support Russia? Yeah, how dare they when 
I mean, we're supporting the Ukraines against Russia out of some noble vision of a wonderful world. And Iran is doing it. They're doing it for pernicious purposes. And they don't see the utter stupidity of attacking Iran for adding an ally when we're busy adding allies all over. I just think it's time to put a halt to a American exception. Look, I'm a true. I'm I, I'm a good little capitalist. I love America. Um, I grew up here. I'm a kid that um, uh, very working class. My father died. My father and mother were born in Europe. They were immigrants. Their first language was in English. Father came here in the 20s and and uh, had been a violinist. Ended up running a small ghetto uh, laundry and cleaner in 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 the in the black ghetto in Chicago, which put me. I started working there when I was 12 or 13. He got died of cancer when I was just turned 17, but for two years before that, he'd been very ill. So I was running a business, going to high school, and totally sensitive to the fact that because I was white and the kid my age, 15, 16, 17, 18, or not older, pressing pants, who on every other Sunday, the, I and the kids would go to see uh, Negro League Baseball at Comiskey Park, the way it worked then in major leagues. Um, in Chicago, the White Sox and the right the bar, ballpark was was a mile away. Um, they would um, uh, play one weekend at home and the next weekend on the road, and the Negro League would play, and you'd have thirty five thousand people watching the, the Negro, Satchel Page, and people like that. And but I always knew because my skin was different, I was going to have a better life, and they knew it too. I mean, really interesting to learn that as a kid. So I, I grew up that way. I was an editor of the Harvard Yale, the Harvard Yale, the what, Yale Daily News at the Harvard Crimson. Um, and uh, 10 years after getting out of college, what I got out in 58, uh, 10 years, a decade after getting out of school, where I worked all the time, uh, also running the store un until, I was, until I was 22. Uh, 10 years later, I'm sticking two fingers in the eye of a new president, uh, Nixon, in Milan. Yeah. And, and believe me, in a lot of countries, I would be in the gulag. Instead, <laughs> I'm getting prizes, fame, fortune, and glory. And if you think, oh, yeah, you got it right there. Well, if you it. think, yeah, well, the memoir, that's right, my memoir. But if you think, um, uh, I, I don't think this country is special. you got to be kidding. This is a very special place. We're having a bad time now. We've got a lot of people that don't see the bigger picture running the foreign policy. And it's very sad and scary. If we just focus uh, look, there's nothing good to be said about Putin starting a, a war in, in the large, the most bloody war in the Middle East. That's on him. That's not going to go away. I, and no matter what rhetoric we, we threw at him, we threw a lot at him. He responded, uh, I wouldn't say childlessly, but in, in absolutely, absolutely wrong and criminal in what he's done. So this is not a love in for Putin. Um, and I, you know, I, 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 he's, he's, he's certainly not a communist. You can't play that game anymore. And not at all, but um, and I don't. I I, do, I go along with um, the vast majority of people who know Russian well. That there's no evidence that he's looking to uh, take over Western Europe. He wants to keep Ukraine as a sub subculture, as he, as Russia has always treated it. Don't forget, Stalin killed what 20 million Ukrainians starved in 1932 because he took the rice away from them and the grain yeah. and brought it to Moscow when crops were bad. I mean, they have no mercy there. But he wants to keep it as a bulk against the West. And uh, you can almost understand that given what we've done since uh, with the NATO, since we've been extend expanding at 30 years in his face and setting up missiles. So it's not just a question of, as I read in the local, the Times and Post often, 
He started a war without provocation. There's plenty of provocation. It doesn't justify it. But, you know, there we are. We're in a mess. We're in a mess. And the best we can hope for is uh, 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 another election with another president. I think we may have to wait to get out of it till then. Seymour Hirsch writes at seymourhirsch.substack.com. And his latest book is his memoir, Reporter. Cy Hirsch, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, keep on writing about the war. Your stuff is good. Thanks, Cy. Thank you. Talk soon.